This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. Everyone, welcome to our show today on this lovely, yes, I do say lovely, San Diego morning. And we have been very, very fortunate, everyone, to have rain in the past two days. Now, for those of you back east and those of you in Ireland, that may not sound like such a wonderful thing. But for us in San Diego, who have been suffering uh, a very bad drought, the rain was a welcome thing. And I did do, Ahanu, what everybody should do on a rainy, cloudy day yesterday. I was nestled all snug in my covers, on my bed, doing my readings, listening to the pitter-patter of the rain outside my window. I was in ecstasy, Ahanu. And it was a pleasure to see you in ecstasy, Angel Rose. There's no doubt about that. The rain was reminiscent of those times gone by back home in Ireland. Those winter days when you're snug and warm with the fire and creativity comes flowing in. And that's when we start to create all kinds of imaginings as well as things that do work out in our hologram. We create programs and we create, write books and we do all sorts of fantastic things that first originate in our minds. And one of the things that did originate in our minds in one such time period way back in the dim distant past, and perhaps it was raining that day too, was an Akashic Records workshop. And last weekend we had a fantastic workshop in a beautiful location in a luxury home in the mountains nestled it's just about one hour north of San Diego and it was an absolutely wonderful occasion and I'd love Angel Rose to tell us a little bit about that. Well Hanu it was our first official teaching of the Akashic Records because we had so many requests from people all over the world actually and a lot of people wanted us to teach this course online uh, I just don't feel that it's something we can do online. And actually, I know many people are. But our weekend was filled with very intimate relationships with our participants. And we covered a lot of ground and did a lot of healing work because the ability to access the Akashic Records has everything to do with your frequency level and how clear you are. So we did incorporate a lot of personal clearing exercises and healing exercises in our course. And mixed in with a bunch of fun. And it was such a beautiful location. We did that on purpose. We, we picked a spot that was conducive to beauty and peace. And uh, it took me a long time, Mahano, honestly, because I was going to pick a location by the beach since we're in California. But as it happened, I ended up choosing a mountain location precisely because it was away from the city, away from the hustle and bustle, 
And uh, we were fortunate enough to have beautiful weather, so we held the whole weekend outdoors on the veranda, open to the sky, with hawks soaring overhead. And it was just absolutely beautiful. And that will be our intention for any further workshops, that we will take our time and create a location that is conducive to the the sacredness of opening the Akashic Records as well as uh, a safe space for healing. Perhaps I better just clarify one thing, Angel Rose, you did mention intimate with our participants, <laughs> but that is very much on absolutely on an emotional level. It really was intimate at that level. People were very, very courageous in exposing themselves and exposing their deepest, their deepest their stuff and uh, this doesn't mean that it was a counseling session by any means but the going into the Akashic Records its purpose was to allow people to see their soul journey where they were going where they came from those past lives future lives all that kind of thing and in that way it does bring up exactly what you're doing here and explains why you have encountered what you have encountered. So in that way, it was really a, a huge realization for people and did bring up stuff and explained a lot of things to people. And that was really, really wonderful. That was absolutely marvelous. But I also have to tell a fantastic story. I found it fantastic. And that was where you just decided on the spur of the moment to give people their power animals out of the Akashic Records. And there was one participant who had come all the way from New York and in some ways was a little reticent because it was his first exposure to this kind of spiritual knowledge. And his power animal was the bluebird. And during a short break we were sitting by the pool and what landed on the edge of the pool to drink was a bluebird. Yeah, that was right after he had asked the question to himself. He didn't know what a bluebird looked like, and he had been walking around the pool, and he told me later that he had been thinking that when he got home, he was going to need to look up bluebird on the internet and read about it and see what it looks like. And there, this bluebird just pops up for him, just manifested right there and appeared in front of him. So that was a fun little little thing that occurred that weekend. Yeah, and it, but it was one of those typical kind of coincidences, let's call it, or a synchronicity that shows you that you're doing the right thing and shows you that you're in the right place. And certainly for him, it was a beautiful confirmation that what that he had made the right decision in traveling all that way. And indeed, he had encountered some difficulties with flights and various things. But in the end, it was the most marvelous thing that he could have done. And there was all kinds of other confirmations too. But that was a real in-your-face type of a synchronicity that said, hey, you're, you're here and you've made the right choices and you've made the right decisions. And this has been an example of the various other kinds of events that happened over the weekend to confirm to us and to the participants that it was a really, really wonderful move forward in consciousness. Well, it's interesting when you do workshops like that because another energy gets created just from the intention of doing it. <clears throat> and that was evident there because everyone felt it. Everyone, uh, first of all, let me just say that those people were absolutely fantastic people. Every one of them was top-notch uh, 
filled with integrity, filled with dedication. And that had a lot to do with the quality of what happened on the weekend. Something does happen when you decide to do a workshop and then for participants when they decide to come. It begins to create a particular energy. And when we were there, we were filled with this particular energy. And at one point, uh, everyone's I am presence came behind them and uh, they got a chance to feel what that felt like. <clears throat> so it was actually quite a miraculous weekend that I found when we got home that I was a bit disoriented and uh, disoriented in the sense that you know, what happened there was such a different frequency that when you come down into your your everyday normal life, it took me a bit to be able to integrate the two realities once again. And I'm sure that participants that come go through the same sort of experience. But all in all, Ahano, it was a wonderful, wonderful weekend. I uh, can't believe it's already been a week. And we were commenting how grateful we were that we're glad we did it last weekend and not this weekend because it is very rainy this weekend. We wouldn't have been able to sit outside like we did and enjoy the, the sunshine in the mountains like we did. Well, don't they say that everything is in divine right order? And that is indeed the case. Everything seems to just slot into place and fall in exactly where it should. And one of the things that I found was also a beautiful synchronicity was that our own anniversary fell on the Monday morning after that weekend and it was our seventh anniversary and we had arranged that after the weekend on the Monday morning early we would take a magical adventure in a hot air balloon. Now I have to say that was thrilling and coming off the excitement of the weekend, this was just another peak, wasn't it, Angel Rose? It was like as if, oh, we weren't coming down to earth at all. We were just going to keep soaring up there in the wonderful world of consciousness and the wonderful world of hot air ballooning. And it was a really, really exciting thing. And one of the crazy things I also found was, in terms of synchronicities, there was our balloon aeronaut pilot guy as, uh, playing Irish music. And he told us the story of the balloonist's prayer. And the prayer goes like this. It says, the winds have welcomed you with softness. The sun has blessed you with his warm hands. You have flown so high and so well that God has joined you in laughter and set you gently back into the loving arms of Mother Earth. Now, why I was fascinated with that was because he said it was written by an Irish priest way back in the 1700s. And of course, I know that it also comes from those one of those ancient Irish prayers that says, May the wind be always at your back, and may you be in heaven a half an hour before the devil knows you're dead. Great. Great. Yeah, we flew over vineyards and... Um Oh, it's just delightful. It was delightful just to be up high and be, it's such a gentle experience. At least ours was because <laughs> the winds were gentle. But anyway, yeah, it was a beautiful culmination of a wonderful, wonderful weekend. So now, Ahanu, now that we've, we've discussed all that, we do want to briefly mention that our second Akashic Record workshop is coming up April 26th and 27th. This time it is going to be in Ireland in Kilkenny at the Butler House Castle.
So if anyone is interested in that, they can go to worldofempowerment.com and register. Okay, now... Well, just before you go on, Angel Rose, let's just discuss that for a second because we are going to cover the same material as we covered in San Diego, obviously benefiting from our experiences and what we learnt and so on. And the location, too, is going to be very, very special because that particular house, the Butler House, was a dower house of Kilkenny Castle. Now, if anybody knows the area and is familiar with the area and certainly reaching out to all our Irish listeners they will know that it's a very, very special place. It's full of history and folklore and stories and and really, really means a lot to us in terms of the comfort and luxury and warmth and the actual energy of the space. So we're very much looking forward to that. And like you said earlier about choosing a place, there was time and effort went into this and help from various people on the ground in Ireland. So it's something that we are really, really looking forward to. And I have to encourage people, if you're listening to this broadcast and you you are a follower of our podcasts or our um, websites, do register as soon as possible because these are the very kinds of workshops where we don't purposely take too many people. We really do limit the numbers and it is a unique occasion. We'll only be in Ireland for a short period of time. We won't be doing a second one. Unlikely that we'll be doing a second one this year in Ireland. So if you are listening, go to worldofempowerment.com scroll down along the list of all the various products that we have and you will see there Akashic Records Workshop. Go ahead and register there as soon as you can for that. Great. And we're really looking forward to that. Now, Ahanu, I've been waiting patiently here while we've been discussing the Akashic Records Workshops and hot air ballooning and all of that. But the big news is that you are finished your book. I know. Cheers from the audience. This has been a long time coming. Ahano has been working on this for so long. And finally, uh, it is ready for at least Kindle this week. And the hard copy should be forthcoming right after that. So Ahano's book is called The Reincarnation of Columbus. And it can be purchased from the reincarnationofcolumbus.com. Okay. Now, this is an interesting book, and I'm going to give a little bit of history. When I first met Ahanu, first time he took me to Ireland, I believe it was in 2007 or 2008, we were in his town home that he owns up there, and he was taking some things out of the attic, and we were going through them, and I found this manuscript, and I start reading it. It was actually called The Reincarnation of Columbus, and I I start reading it, and it turns out that it was a very emotionally, well, devastating account of the loss of Ahano's firstborn child, Ryan, just when he was uh, four months old from crib death. And it was Ahano's diary, really, that he had kept throughout that time, writing down his feelings and what happened. And I had said to him at that time, you really need to write a book about this. And he said, well, I will at some point. I said, but it isn't finished because it just ended with uh, the events of his divorce and things like that afterwards. So anyway, finally, he decided to take on this challenge, everyone. Last year, he began fleshing it out and writing it, and he put the part two in it. And so, Ahanu, I want to ask you, 
when after you have written this book you know what was the real what's the purpose of this book what what is it that you hope to accomplish by getting this book out well do you know that's a really interesting question because i never had any purpose behind it in the sense of i never i never decided that i was going to be an author one day or that i was going to write a book about this that or the other it it didn't it didn't formulate in that way what happened was 27 years ago ryan died and i had no way of understanding what death was all about i had no understanding about what was happening to me as i tried to cope with that tragedy and i found things happening to me that i that i really couldn't understand i you know i got meningitis i got pleurisy i got all kinds of psychosomatic illnesses as a result of the the trauma and the tragedy and the sadness of it all and i never thought that i would be affected in that way because i do remember very clearly saying shortly after he died that i'd be over this in a month this was this was the old macho way of approaching things this was my manhood saying i'm not going to be touched by this i'm not going to be injured in any way by this i'm too i'm too too proud well boy was i in for a shock was i in for a change an entire change of my entire life and what i started to do was in order to try and understand it i started to write down little things that were happening I started to write down my feelings and I started to write down simple little coincidences that were actually happening. And also, I started to write down anomalies. And one of the things was, why couldn't I cry? How? Why couldn't men cry, even though I could feel this enormous... It was like a dam of emotion inside me that I couldn't express. But I also knew and was very aware that most men couldn't express that kind of emotion either. And yet, I could look at the women around me in my life at the time, and they were op- they were like open rivers. They were flowing with tears constantly for weeks and months afterwards, and I couldn't get a single drop. And I couldn't figure out why was that the case. Was this something that I had dammed up inside myself? Was it just a thing about men? Was it a macho thing that we built up in some way to protect ourselves? Was it a DNA thing? Was it built into our structure in some way? And writing about it helped me to put, putting it down on paper helped me to release stuff that I couldn't release outwardly. You know, I could write about things that I, in a way that I knew nobody would ever read. Nobody would ever see my writings. yeah, until Angel Rose found it, and that that was that was the end of that. But you know, I'm glad you found it because, in some ways, the when you asked me about my intention, after some time, all of these writings began to formulate into a kind of a an understanding that there was such a thing as reincarnation, and. There were also some amazing coincidences, which I'll tell you about in a couple of moments, but it was one of the reasons why I then decided that, yes, this this was necessary to publish this in the form of a book, and it has been 27 years, Angel Rose, it's been 27 years, and now is the time. I know, Ahano, and so the first part of the book for our readers, they will be very emotionally engaged because it is a raw uh, an account of 
what was happening back then day by day and it's actually a good account because you know i think most of us when somebody dies you know we all have a reaction where we say wow that's just so horrible i can't imagine what you're feeling you know we're so sorry that this happened and the truth is is that nobody really writes down the day-to-day -day agony of a loss and the first part of the book really spells that out very 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 clearly and uh and, and you can't help but become emotionally involved when you are reading it with with all the participants and everything that happened and the shock of it so so it's it's a necessary thing um i i won't say that it was a fun read ahan of the first half because it is so painful it's so painful but i i have a few questions because i know you moved from the first part into the second part where you the whole point of the second half was to sh to show how you came through that and how your life unfolded after that in a spiritual way but i first want to ask you before we go to that is you went on to have three other children after ryan and i've always wondered was that hard to do well the, the idea of having another you know having another baby after that first child died was there fear did you have fear around that or what made you made you and your wife at the time decide that you were you were going to have the courage because to me it would seem like it would take a lot of courage to try again to have a family can you talk about that for a minute yes absolutely it was a very very difficult thing and also full of trepidation and full of fear but let me explain the Columbus thing and the, the reason for the name of the book and it will also answer then why we choose to go ahead and have other children when when uh, Ryan's mother was pregnant with him we were we were traveling around a lot at the time and also in her tummy he seemed to be tumbling around and maneuvering around and I remember marveling as a, a first-time father this wonderful f feeling that you have when you touch the belly of a pregnant woman and you feel the little kicks inside it was a most beautiful thing I was enthralled I really was captivated and because we were traveling around so much I nicknamed him in the womb Columbus I just said the great traveler he's a great traveler and then by some weird coincidence he was born on the 12th of October and about oh, it must have been three or four months after he was born didn't we discover that he was born on the day that Columbus discovered America in 1492 it was almost 500 years to the day when Columbus had supposedly discovered America and I thought this was a most amazing coincidence now to answer your question about the other children and why this relates after Ryan had uh, had been dead perhaps uh, a year or more we also decided that maybe the best thing to do would be to to travel and take our mind off this dreadful situation that we found ourselves in because this was a core wound and I had as a result lost my business everything was really going down the tubes I, everything was just in chaos and we thought that perhaps a breakaway would be the right thing so we found ourselves again traveling and in the change of circumstances and in the change of location and the change of environment there came the choice that perhaps the right thing to do would be 
to have another child, to, ha to have a go at this. And it wasn't something that was in a way manufactured or, or contrived. It was something that happened very, very naturally, but at the same time surrounded by that element of, oh my God, what would happen if this happens again? You know, is this something that is hereditary? Is this in our DNA? And of course, we read all the literature and found that it isn't. But at the same time, though, we discovered in our education around crib death that there are families that have had two and three and four uh, uh, incidences of their babies dying. And in those circumstances, those those families were arrested, actually, on suspicion of murder. But, you know... Yeah, those days are, are gone, thankfully, and people are coming into a greater understanding of what really goes on in the case of crib death or cot death, as we call it in Ireland. And there are, there's wonderful work being done by various organizations around the world on uh, various societies being set up to support parents because indeed they do need support because when you, when you have some reason that you can hang your hat on, as we say, that you can attribute to the cause of death. That's one thing. But when there is no cause of death, and nobody can ha nobody has an answer for you, nobody can say, this caused it, that caused it. But what happens is you go through this terrible guilt that says, oh, it must have been me. You know, I, I brought him here. Um, like in one case, I remember there was smoking. I was allowed in pubs at that point in time, and I brought him into a, a smoky pub, albeit for a short period of time. But you can imagine the guilt that I went through, thinking that that was the the cause of his death. And then I brought him out on my back in a in a backpack carrier thing on the mountains because I love to climb the mountains. Oh, maybe he got cold, you know. Maybe he got wet. Maybe this happened. Maybe that. my God, the amount of things that you go through, blaming yourself. Was it the formula? Did I? Was he too hot? Was he too cold? Was was the temperature in the house? Was it? Did I give him enough liquids, water? Oh my God, it was endless. On and on and on the guilt trips went for years and years and years, and then people continually just say to you, "Well, look, there is no cause." And that, in lots of ways, is even worse to try and come to terms with. Right. Right. That's that's a tough one, all right. When you don't have the cause, there's no closure. <clears throat> no closure, no understanding. And I can imagine you're left with uh, a whole lot of ideas, that, for sure. So, now, I also want to ask you, too, because, unfortunately, you... Your marriage did take a uh, hit from that as well, and you, you did end up divorced some years later. And um, do you think there was a relationship between Ryan's death and, and the divorce, or do you think that it, it would have happened anyway? What do you think? That's a good question, and very hard to pinpoint an answer to it, except to say that on an occasion and with an incident like that and a tragedy like that, I now understand that these things give us an amazing opportunity for personal and spiritual growth. Now, that's different for everybody. And it's easy also for me to say that in hindsight. When you're in the throes of anguish and grief and pain and sorrow and sadness, it's very hard to see any bigger picture. And also... It's very hard to take advice of any kind and to take any kind of spiritual wisdom to mean anything. And I remember also people saying to me at the graveside and weeks and weeks afterwards, you know, 
this this is this is divine providence or you have an angel in heaven say i don't want an angel in heaven i want my baby you know so all the platitudes and all the spiritual insights are not worth anything in that place it does take time and then the time is what allows for any kind of spiritual growth to take place so what i found was that as time went on i began to explore the bigger picture. I began to explore about the possibility of Ryan not just being a baby, the fact that he could have been an old soul, that he might have been here before, that he had might have had an intention, that he might have had a purpose in incarnating, and that he might have made a choice himself to exit. And here was I trying to understand all of that. In terms of the relationship, what I found happening was that I f was going in a certain direction in my spiritual understanding. And it, as can be the case, partners and couples may go in different directions as a result of a, a tragedy like this. And it's quite common. So the time did come where uh, Ryan's mother did need to make a choice about what she wanted out of her life and she obviously made the best choice and I made the best choice and everybody actually always does make the best decision in their own lives albeit we can't see it in the depth and throes of the anguish but it is the case in hindsight always so yes our 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 subsequent children Emmett Owen and Ryan Emmett Owen and Emer uh Ryan being the first we, we never denied that he existed, even while those children were growing up. Never, ever denied. It was absolutely a, a, a wonderful cause for discussion and a, a reason for understanding the bigger picture. And it helped explain a lot of things about their education. You know, when they're being dumped upon in religious class in school, Ryan was always there to have a deeper explanation about what was going on in the world and what was going on with life and death. So they they got a, a much broader grounding, let's say, in the bigger picture of life than if Ryan hadn't died in the first place. So I can attribute his death to a lot of the wonderful developments that took place in my life, as I say, albeit that I couldn't see them at the time. Right. And, you know, you did mention coming to an understanding later on that Ryan could have had his own soul mission. <clears throat> and I think this is an important thing to mention because I I went through a lot of death myself. And one of the hardest for me was the loss of my sister. And um, my sister was a year older than I was. And she came down one day with some strange illness. Uh, it took them a long time to diagnose it. And even with the diagnosis, it still wasn't, you know, nobody really knew for sure what the, what the heck she had. But make a long story short, she passed away within six months of the illness. And it was the first time in my life where, you know, I just felt a piece of my own heart had gone with her. But she talked to me afterwards and the two things that messages I did get from her was to really kind of get busy on the spiritual road because the earth is changing and you don't have time to 
be messing around and being lazy. That was kind of a little bit of a scolding. But I understood from her death, and I had gone through three or four others before her tragic situations in my life. But I came to an acceptance uh, that death was such a personal event to the person who died. And in a way, she was letting me know that her death was none of my business. She didn't mean it mean, but it was it was making it was kind of a wake up call where we who are left behind, you know, we're in mourning, obviously we're we're in a terrible mourning. We have all these ideas and thoughts. We're thinking about how we're going to miss the person. And yet um, what she made clear was that when a person does die, their relationship with their own soul and with God is really the only thing going on. It's all about, it's all about their journey. And so when you mentioned that Ryan could have set all this up ahead of time to come in and leave early, uh, and many children leave early, actually, you know, and we have such a hard time with children, but that is a, a, a big jump in understanding to kind of grasp that, the, that there's a bigger picture going on in a person's spiritual and soul journey from lifetime to lifetime. And and we do indeed live other lives, many other lives. So that was a, that, that's a profound place to come to, really. Well, what you have to understand, Angie Rose, uh, and, and to refer back to your first question about the intention behind writing my book, The Reincarnation of Columbus, I didn't know any of this at the time. I didn't know anything about reincarnation. I didn't know anything about past lives. I didn't have any spiritual grounding at all. I was a 3D person working for money, trading the hours for dollars. And I, I didn't know that my life was about to take an incredible shift in spiritual understanding. And it, it was Ryan, Ryan's death that actually catalyzed that. Now I can see it, but certainly not then. So... One of the, as you said, the big shifts was grasping the fact that every single person, every child, every soul is on their own journey. This was an amazing thing for me to come to terms with. And I'm so glad and so grateful that I had the opportunity to grasp it. So as a result of that, I went and did uh, some some past life regressions and things and found that Ryan and myself had actually had various past lives together and when I saw those and felt those and listened to to the dialogue in my own spiritual space that we had the promises that we made together I began to realize that this is huge this is so much bigger than we have any idea of it's like we come into this world and there's this veil of this veil of secrecy thrown over us this veil of forgetfulness thrown over us and and we have no idea of the enormity and the beauty of the the or the scale of what really is going on the dynamic of life at at that level and when i got a glimpse of that with with ryan's death i began to feel better and began to understand at that stage then that this information has to go out to the public my my experience has to go out to the public in the form of a book. So there is this wonderful progression that happens. As you say, the first part of the book, yes, it's tragic. It's full of grief. It's it's sad. 
It really is a day-by-day, blow-by-blow account of the, the torture, the horrific sense of sadness and that tearing away at your heart deep down, pulling it down through your insides, your innards. It's a most horrific an account of that, that tragedy. But then there is that subtle shift starts to take place as I begin to get the idea that maybe there is more to this than meets the eye. My other children, of course, helped me. Then the divorce, another tragedy, then loss of my business, various other things that went wrong. But then also wonderful things that started to go right. And it was those things that started to go right. I began to realize that this is moving me in a direction where I, all the time I needed to go. And as a result of that, now I find myself in a place where I have an amazing sense of understanding around death, an amazing understanding of spiritual growth, and an amazing understanding of really what, what life is, is, is for at that profound level, at its big level, and a sense of being in contact with a divinity, with a sense of purpose that goes beyond the nine-to-five job and goes beyond earning money and goes beyond paying a mortgage and goes beyond those things that we all strive for. So I I feel really blessed. And the second part of the book brings out that sense of blessedness. It brings out that sense of wonder and joy and gratitude. And that's really what it is. It's actually a gratitude that it all happened. Yes, I understand that. I understand that for sure. Now, I want to pop off a minute here to share something that happened to me um, around this whole subject that we're talking about today, which which is, well, first I just want to briefly mention, too, that y- you had lost your nephew a couple years ago as well. Now, I'm only mentioning this because it illustrates the idea that there's a bigger picture happening beneath the surface, because <clears throat> your nephew, Leonard, was quite an adventurer. Uh, he he was always on the go. He was always traveling someplace, uh, mountain climbing, uh, any sort of wild experience he could have. Sailing across the Atlantic. Sailing across the Atlantic on a ship. Um, you know, traveling to Las Vegas. I mean, he lived in Ireland, but he was always uh, going everywhere. You know, just wouldn't slow down. Remember, just constantly. And... A few years back, you know, he was hiking and he did fall off the mountain and he and he lost his life at 32 years old. But it does make you think in terms of, you know, you always wonder what, what always pushed him. Do you know what I mean? What pushed him to live as much life as he could possibly live in such a short time? And you wonder, was it something in his soul that knew he wasn't he was going to have a short life, that it perhaps wasn't going to be a long life? And he wanted the most out of it that he could possibly get because that's the way he was. He was driven to have experiences. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And again, it was one of those incidences that had no, we had no understanding around it at the time. And again, with the gift of hindsight, you begin to see the pattern. You begin to see really what is going on and the fact that he would have had his own soul purpose his own design his own plan and when you see that then in the light of what he did and how he did it and why he did it it all slots into place 
and it does help to overcome the, the, the grief of it all because he touched many, many lives in, in, in his short life. But so does everybody. You know, here's the thing. Everybody touches everybody else's life. And you, we think just because you don't know them, just because you're not intimately connected with them, that you, you don't feel it. But you do. Everybody's life is intimately connected with everybody else's. And anybody's death is a tragedy at that level. But it's actually a triumph, though, also, Angel Rose. This is where, this is where our understanding of life and death is changing. That we're discovering that death is not real at all. It's a perception of ours that we think somehow is real. And in fact, those people who have, in inverted commas, died, are actually working out their own soul journey in their own way, in their own time, at their own pace, in the wonderful way that is life everlasting. This is an amazing concept when you grasp it. You know, and, and, and I'm blessed to have had the experience of being able to grasp it. And it's one of the wonderful things that does come out in the book is that sense of being grateful for everything that we have in the here and now because it only gets better. It continues. It just magnifies. It's a wonderful, most beautiful, most glorious experience, really. Well, and you were very fortunate, really, though, Ahana, to come to that because there's, there's a lot of people who go through losses who never do come to any sort of bigger awakening. You know, there's there's people who stay stuck in the the grief of losing somebody for their whole entire lives. You know, they go into a depression about it and they can't seem to pick themselves back up and go on with life. And that certainly is a very, very sad thing. But, uh, you know, I suppose in saying it, there's a learning even in that, I suppose. If you take a lifetime to grieve... Uh, and, and the other thing, let's just mention grief for a moment because, like I mentioned, I've uh, had many tragedies myself, but it's interesting how uncomfortable other people are when you're grieving. And it's understandable because none of us want each other to be in pain or feel bad. But I remember uh, staying with a, a friend after my last partner committed suicide before I met you, Ahano. And uh, the the common thing to do is you you talk about it all the time. You know, when someone dies, you find that you're you're always talking about it to everybody. You know, you're mentioning it. It's it's like you're repeating it over and over. But lots of ways, other people don't want to hear that over. They don't, and, and that's yeah. what I'm trying to say is is that my friend actually, after a couple months, got to the point where she just wanted me to get over it already. She didn't want to hear about it anymore. And and that's understandable, but I just want to say, on the side of the griever, you know, grief is not something that you just get over in a certain amount of time. In fact, even now, you know, because I lost my first husband to a tragedy when I was 19. But what happens is is that it recycles itself through your life at various times. In other words, all of those deaths, you know, you grieve at the time and then eventually... You know, you start getting back into the flow of normal, quote, unquote, <clears throat> life just because it demands it. But that sort of a shock is so huge that at various times in, in my life anyway, I found I find myself thinking about these people. I find myself going over the events of their death. I, I recycle the emotions. 
And even though I have a greater spiritual understanding now, it doesn't take away the fact that when you do go back into those memories, you know, you do relive them. They're still there. The pain is still there. And I think it's unrealistic for people who are not experiencing that to expect someone who goes through such a tremendous shock to just be over it in a few months. I mean, it's unrealistic, actually, because grief doesn't seem to work that way. That's right. And the other thing about grief also, I started off mentioning about the effect on me as a man. And I remember standing at the graveside and all of the people were coming up to my wife at the time and saying, you know, I'm sorry for your trouble. Oh, you must be you must be in terrible shock. Oh, it must be awful. And all the the focus of intention, attention was entirely upon her. And I felt I was standing off to the side, isolated and lonely and feeling as if Nobody understands that a man can feel. Nobody can understand that a man has actually got emotions. And next thing, a nine-year-old child came up to me and looked up at me with these big eyes and said, How are you feeling? And I remember tears just flowed at that point and I was so overcome the fact that it took a nine-year-old to have some sense of compassion for me as a man and I'm just distinguishing it purely to illustrate the point that yes people don't want to be exposed to pain and to grief and certainly after a few months they do expect you to get to be over it and to be past it and also they don't expect men to hold on to this kind of thing and certainly don't expect men to feel at that level but they're all fallacies and when we nurture ourselves in that way and when we allow ourselves to feel and really really feel I think it's then that we become better people right that's fantastic well I certainly wasn't taught that men could feel I was taught that all men want is sex and that's all they think about and that's all they are concerned about and they don't have anything else about them Except that. That is true, Angel Rose, <laughs> at a level. Yes, at a level. No, I, I'm, I, you know, I know you understand that we are talking about uh, when we get into the, the humanity of it, when we get into the reality of who we are as beings. You know, yes, there, of course, there is a sex drive that is more apparent in men, let's say more apparent to some men than uh, others. But, you know, we've discussed that on our various programs too, this whole sex drive and where that comes from and what might have originated that and all of that kind of thing. But, you know, I'm talking about the spiritual aspect of feeling, the spiritual aspect of realization, the spiritual aspect of awareness is, is what I'm talking about. And certainly in that way, there is no difference whatsoever between men and women and there's certainly no difference whatsoever between one person's ability to feel and the other person's ability to feel some people shut it out and build walls and blockages more effectively than others but certainly we are all together in our ability to be able to feel and also I've come to the understanding that when one feels another feels you know um, that famous Ho'oponopono story I've written about it in my book too about Dr. Hugh Len in Hawaii when he had, uh, I think it was 86 patients or some number like that of psychiatric patients. And the patients were so, so bad that the 
the um, the nurses and the doctors used to walk down the corridors with their backs to the wall in fear of these patients that they might strike out or kill them. And they suffered and had a, a huge rate of, um, what do you call it, when people leave their jobs and, and come back, a new, a new job. And there was a big turnover of staff, in other words, is what I'm saying, because of the fear that was in the place. But this Dr. Hugh Len, he recognised that if these people are suffering, if these patients are suffering, that the suffering must also be inside him. So what he started to do was, every day, he'd think of each patient, uh, look into their eyes and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. And he'd go on to the next one. And so on, he went through this routine every single day. And do you know what? After six or eight months, they actually closed the hospital. They had to discharge all the patients. There was no longer any requirement, no, any, no longer any need to hospitalize them. There was no more fear left in the place. People began to want to work there, and then they had to close it. Now, what that tells me and what that showed me, and when I heard that story, it showed me that forgiveness, really, is what brings us closer to love. It is that forgiveness that we, when we foster that forgiveness in ourselves, it heals not only us, but it heals the world. And that was one of the most beautiful lessons I got out of the death of Ryan. And, and it's, that is something that I am enormously grateful for. That is absolutely fantastic. And, um, you know, there's so many levels of this that we could talk about, but I, I want to mention, uh, the loss we think of a, of a close friend of ours recently only because it you know in this discussion about death and life I first have to say for myself that I have never <clears throat> I have never believed that death was necessary you know when I was a little girl I used to I had a memory that we lived forever and so the first time I experienced someone getting ill as a young child or dying. I I looked at my mother with confusion, like, "What do you What do you mean?" And um, so this whole death, and I've had a lot of death in my life, and obviously this is my my journey because death does have its gifts, as we've been discussing today, in terms of you know bringing you down to a very human level of feeling and and allowing you to feel deeply and generating love and compassion and forgiveness and all the things that you mentioned and realizing there's a bigger picture going on beneath the surface but ultimately though i firmly believe it it's not god's intention that we suffer and die i i think it happens because uh, what we believe, our, our belief systems as a human race and what we've been programmed to believe are so extensive that we continually create it again and again. And, you know, I'm going to the other extreme here because I do believe biologically we, we originally were created uh, to live forever, that our DNA was set up in such a way that we could have... Uh, immortal life as a physical person if we wanted it but certainly eternal life as a spirit is definitely there and that is the part that most people will grab onto the fact that your spirit lives eternally 
But it doesn't help a person who's going through a physical loss of somebody in the physical world. And so, so what happened, and it happened the whole two weeks before our workshop that we were talking about, is, is we have a young friend uh, who was in her 30s, beautiful girl, um, who, you know, very spiritual person, very ultra sensitive, and had gone through her own losses and was continually trying to figure out the meaning of life. And ev inevitably it led her to using ayahuasca. And, and this is, seems to be a popular thing many young people are doing now. There's a big thing about it. Anyway, um, make a long story short, through her using that, she, instead of her being able to heal the things that were surfacing from the ayahuasca, she went in a, in a, in a decline. She went into a depression and inevitably, um, decided she was going to be a breatharian and stopped eating. And of course, her consciousness was not at the place to be a best breatharian because people who become breatharians, um, have worked through all of their beliefs about, about food and death. And, you know, they're in a particular joyful state of consciousness. They understand, uh, what it means to live off of bliss. Okay. And this girl certainly was not in a state of bliss. So when that happens, you know, you end up starving to death instead. But somewhere in there, she shut everyone out and um, wouldn't answer anyone's calls, said she wanted to be left alone, and decided at some point that she was going to uh, let her, her, her body die. She wanted out of here. Okay, so she took steps to pack up things and, you know, make a will and do all sorts and then just left and nobody knew where she was. Make, make a long story short, police were looking for her in a certain location and it is presumed that she has died. Okay. They gave up the search. They found her car abandoned. Now I found that I was having such reactions to this, uh, on, on so many levels. You know, I had deep sorrow because I loved her and, and, you know, the fact that she came to that place in her life made me very sad. Her and I had had many conversations about life and she was a typical, we'd probably call her a typical indigo child and many oftentimes those children feel like they don't belong here. They find it very difficult to live in this 3D world. It's not uncommon. They're ultra sensitive to everything and she had hit it shared with me many times that she um she didn't want to be here okay so on on one level and this is where i really need to explain to people where i'm coming from on one level i know that suicide is not judged you know sources made it really clear that each soul it you know when you're born you have this body, this is your life, you are the one responsible for it. You are the one who should be free to choose what you want to do with it one way or the other. And even though when you do take your own life, you do, you do miss opportunities for sure. You know, you, you, you don't get to come out the other side like you did in your life where you, you kept growing, you kept, you gave it time. Do you know what I mean? You gave it time to see how 
things would unfold and things did present themselves to you that gave you opportunities to choose to, to go another path. That's not to Rose, that I didn't encounter very similar things to what you describe with our friend there. You know, I, I certainly did consider suicide, absolutely. I went through all those deep emotions, that horrific soul searching, that, uh, what did they call it, the, the dark side of the soul, dark of the, the soul. dark night of the soul. I went through that and, you know, considered the suicide also there's a whole section on it in my book my <laughs> how i planned it all and arranged it all oh god um but as you say there's no judgment around it either way it's what it's what your soul does with it it's what you choose to do with it it's how you choose to use it as a, a mechanism let's call it for forgiveness as another tool in your toolbox as another way to to overcome and grow and th th this is this is the key to the whole thing really is that there is support out there there really is there's no reason for anybody to feel isolated and lost and alone yes it is real to feel that way yes it can be that way in the 3d world but in fact in spirit there is no loneliness at all. Right, and I, and I certainly don't want to give the message today to anybody that we are encouraging people to opt out or take their own life as a solution to their pain. Um, we're only saying, again, in the big picture, that we know that it isn't judged by source. We do know that the soul of anybody in life, whether you commit suicide or whether you leave this planet and... You know, we'll, we'll all be shown um, ways that we could improve, different choices we could have made, uh, things we'll have to do again. I mean, this is all uh, part of the whole picture. But I just want to say, and I know we're running out of time right now, unfortunately, because we could talk about this for much longer today. But uh, I just got to say that this girl's death, uh, presumed death, you know, she could still be alive just left me with a, a lot of feelings and a lot of questions. <clears throat> on the one hand, I respect her choice. On the other hand, um, I understand the difficulty in living in this world at times. And then on the other hand, I still feel sadness that she couldn't come out the other end. Okay, we do have to leave it there. Remember that our free group Akashic Records online Sessions are on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And you'll find out information about that at worldofempowerment.com. Next week, we do have our great friend Penny Kelly back on. Do listen in and also look up the archives because we've had some great sessions with her. And it also could be you. If you'd like to come on the show and discuss your passion or your spiritual business at angelrose at angelrose.com or register on worldofempowerment.com. So until next Saturday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, we send you our love, our blessings, and thanks for listening to myself, Ahanu, and to Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. And as we say in Ireland, Slán agus Bannacht de Live Galair. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living.
Honest to God series with Ann Gail Rose and Ahanu.